Although we can't go back in time, we can reflect on our past experiences and learn from them. But wouldn't it be so amazing if we could? If you could, what would you tell yourself? This is Letters to My Younger Self. I'm Liz Gardner. Join me as we talk with some of my favorite people about their life stories and how they've learned and how we can become a little better by hearing their incredible stories. Dear Younger Mark, please learn from others' mistakes. Today on the podcast, we have Mark. I met him at the YMCA. He was one of the workers in the child care, and he took such good care of my son Hayden when he was little, and we have become good friends over the years. Mark is now a correctional officer at a juvenile detention center, but I think the way that he talks about the kids will come as a surprise to you. He shows so much love and compassion to these boys, and I love his reasoning for why he wanted to do this job. Growing up, his father wasn't really around or there for him the way he wanted, and he wants these boys to know that there's someone that has their back, that is there for them and cares about them and cares about the success of their life. Mark is kind and loving and gentle and can calm any baby I've ever seen. And I just think that he has so much wisdom and so many things that he can teach us. And I hope you enjoy his interview today. Thanks so much, Mark. I'm so excited to talk to you today. You know, I've known you for five and a half years now because Hayden's about to turn six. Yes, ma'am. And we started going to the Y when he was six months old. But I feel like we haven't really talked about a lot of the deeper issues, more just surface level type things. So I'm excited to kind of hear more about your story. Okay. Well, Mark, can you tell us about your childhood, where you grew up, and tell us a little bit about your family? But I grew up here in Dallas different parts of Dallas, uh, North Dallas and East Dallas and Lovefield area. My parents are high school sweethearts. They've been, they were with each other for over 22 years and not necessarily a good relationship, but you know, they made things work when needed until things fell apart. My childhood was a good one until I could start remembering things. And when I started remembering things, it kind of goes in and out of what you would like to remember. I tend to just remember the good things. But uh, when I do come across different things in life, I do catch myself going towards, going back in time towards that uh, younger, younger self. And when you say that times were good, but then you start remembering things, you're saying that it was kind of a mix of hard times and good times, but you've kind of tried to forget some of the more negative things. Yes, ma'am. You could say that. Your sister just had a baby. So I know you at least have one sister. Tell us about your siblings and also congratulations on becoming an uncle for the first time. Thank you. I'm the oldest out of five. All five of us have the same father, same mother. I'm 28. My sister that just had the kid is 20. I have a younger brother that's 16. And then I have twin sisters that are six. So it's kind of a big age difference between me and my little ones. Well, but that makes a lot of sense on why you're so good with kids. You've kind of grown <laughs> up taking care of kids. I I remember one of my first memories of you. I remember there was a baby at the gym and just wouldn't be soothed at all. And no one could take care of him. And I remember dropping Hayden off and the baby was just screaming. And when I came back, you had this baby in your arms and the baby was cooing and grabbing your goatee hair. And, and we would just kind of joke that, if there's a baby that won't go to anyone, Mark can take care of it. And I think that you do a really good job at being calm and in stressful situations and, 
And so I think the babies can sense, but you, you really have a gift of taking care of those kids. And I bet a lot of it has to do with you've, you've always kind of had younger siblings to take care of your whole life. Yes. You kind of talked about your parents and how they were together for a while. And, but there were some good times and bad times. You, you had mentioned to me before that your dad wasn't around that much. Can you tell us what that was like for you? I could say he, to me, I can't say any different because that's all I knew. You know, now that I see how families are actually supposed to be or how we think they should be, it's a totally different, different aspect of life, the way you want to see yourself, the way you want to portray yourself as well. I know that that's why I had said in the beginning the mistakes that other people make, if I can learn from them and apply them the way that I need to, then I know that that hurt and pain that is that was there as a child can slowly progress into something that is beautiful later on down the road. It's interesting how our heartache and some of the hard things that we go through really shape us and make us so much of who we are. And although it's not like you would wish that on anyone, it's kind of almost the backbone of of who we are and of our care. Yes, that is true. So if you could go back in time and talk to yourself and give yourself advice, let's say when you're 10 years old, what do you think you would say? Uh... Pain isn't forever. I think around 10 years old, that's when I finally realized that I didn't like my father and I didn't want to be anything like him. I would gravitate to, in my opinion, would be other strong men because I knew that he wasn't, he wasn't there to be that strong man that I know he could be because of his different uh, lifestyle that he had. My mother, she's worked for Southwest Airlines for over 25 years. So she's kind of the backbone of, of taking care of everything. But I think any strong woman, it's like that in a family. My father liked to party. He liked to drink. He, uh, ventured out and liked to do drugs recreationally at one point until it finally consumed him. But as for a younger me not knowing, at 10 years old, I finally got up to a point where it was like, I'm, I'm learning little by little. And when how kids, how we say kids see everything, they see everything. My mother, she, she's a strong woman. Uh, she, she herself was, uh, I, I could say, was verbally abused when she was younger. So it's kind of like if she got that from another man, it was normal to her. That's how she feels love or that's how she feels taken care of. It's not necessarily a good thing. But when you've gone through so much pain, sometimes you're scared to venture out and see what is actually good to you. That is sad. And it is interesting, you know, how some people they have, you know, maybe an abusive type situation that they go back to that someone who's similar to their father, because that's all they know, or that it breaks them down so much that they don't feel like they deserve anything different, or they don't know anything different. Yes. But it sounds like your mom was really good to you guys and, and praised you and was there for you emotionally. Oh, yes. She was there emotionally, physically, all the way around. I played football for as a little kid, I would say, starting at eight years old and from eight all the way into college. She never missed a game. She was always there. My father, at times, he wouldn't be around, but 
my mother is the one that I could count on for anything and everything. She sounds like an amazing lady. Oh, she is. And I, I think a lot of your nice, sweet characteristics and your love for the people around you probably comes from her. Yes, I could see that. So tell us, what were you like when you were in junior your adolescence? What would, what, how were things for you then? Uh, things for me, I would, I was into sports. So any sports, whether it was football, track, basketball, weightlifting, anything. But I think the main reason why I drove myself to doing so many sports was so that I would spend time with other people and I didn't have to be at home to where sometimes I would feel like I, w I wouldn't feel like coming home because I knew I had to deal with my father or I knew that I had to be around that is where I can go around other people and go spend a night somewhere else or go hang out with another family just to just to see things differently, just to see how how uh, different households work. And you kind of mentioned earlier that you gravitated to strong male figures. Do you have any people that you would like to share that were examples to you of positive role models that helped you during your adolescence? Oh, yes. Um my grandfather, he's he's one that um, if I could be the half man that he is, that that's uh, that'd be one heck of a man. He's a pastor. He's been a pastor for over fifty years, and he is my father's father. And it's kind of it's kind of sad to see you know your kids go from the wayside when you have a an upbringing of um, a godly home. But uh, he's the one man that I always gravitate to. Like I've, his personality, the way he presents himself, his demeanor. Uh, he's, he's a godly man, but he's never been a, he's n never been that godly man his whole life. You know, he has some stories in past where he's like, you know, I've, I have fallen down, but I've gotten up and I haven't made the same mistakes twice. You know, someone, someone that's been through hell and back and can give you wisdom on top of that. That's one thing that, uh, to me, I see that is real big characteristic in being a strong man. Yeah. Well, and I think you know, all of us make mistakes and all of us do things that we regret. But like you said, it's kind of what we do from there. If we keep repeating the same mistakes over and over again, you know, that says a, a different thing about our character versus learning from our mistakes. Or like you said in the beginning, learning from other people's mistakes and trying to continually be better and be a better version of ourselves each day. Yes, ma'am. Well, I'm glad that you had your grandfather. It sounds like he had a big impact on you and, and was there for you to help give you advice when you probably needed it. And during some of those hard times in your life where you felt like you didn't get that from your dad. Yes. Why did you decide you wanted to work with juveniles? Um, I can say that I see myself in them. You know, um, when I was younger as well, when I would go over different people's houses or spend time with friends, we were always getting into things, whether it was something good and positive or something that we had no business doing. I see myself and them as far as them coming from broken homes or them not having that male figure and it's kind of like, I can say a few words and if they get to you and you grasp them, good. But if you let them go through one year and not the other, to me, I feel like I did my part. 
I'm just saying something to you. But I always tell the kids, I'm not trying to preach to you. I'm not trying to be your dad. I'm not trying to be your uncle or your brother. If I could just, if I could have some type of words with you or mentor you in any way, then that's perfectly fine with me. But I, I see those young men that I work with that no one else in society wants them around because they've already messed up so many times. And to me, I think that's that's uh, a young man like that can be not only broken at that time, but when they're broken, you can be rebuild them into something magnificent. That's really amazing. And I think being able to see their potential and kind of looking beyond the decisions they've made and it not just being they are judged based off of the worst things that they've ever done, but that you can look and see their potential and what they're capable of doing and how they're capable of changing and becoming better. Yes, because most of the kids, they've never... They've never been kids. Like you see them, especially the older kids, you see the older kids that when they come into the facility, they have this shell around them. But that's, that shell is for so many years of trauma or so many years of them having to fend for themselves. And when they're there at the facility and when that shell starts to be broken little by little, you can actually see them be a kid. That's that's the main thing that I, I like to see is for kids just to be kids. Because me being younger, when I was a little kid, my mother would even tell, would even tell you, the, my two oldest kids, they never really did have a childhood. They had to grow up quick. And I, I understand that now, being older, but when I was younger, I could never grasp my head around that. It's like, hey, I don't, I don't want to do this. I don't want to work. I don't, I don't want to do this extra stuff. I just want to be a kid. Why can't I be a kid like that person over there? Why do I have to do this? Probably oldest children, they probably have more of a, a burden, especially in bigger families. But I think in your situation where your mom probably acted as a single parent a lot of the times, whether it was physically or emotionally, she probably relied a lot on you and your sister to kind of like help pick up the slack where she might not be able to do everything. You were saying that these kids don't really get to be kids. Can you give us any examples of people you've worked with and kind of what they have had to go through? One kid, for instance, we'll call him Mr. Mr. Lewis is 14 years old. He has younger siblings that range from two years old to seven and nine. Mr. Lewis uh, was arrested due to him stealing food and money out of a store. He was arrested, and when they arrested him, they asked him why was he stealing food and money. He said because he had to feed his younger younger siblings. I can't blame someone that's, that's going to provide not only for themselves, but for kids as well. When his own mother didn't want anything to do with him or his siblings, he would beg his mom just to just to keep things together when CPS would come around so that way they could all stay together. Uh, she was uh, she had a, a drug addiction and at one point she tried selling the two year old for drugs. When Mr. Lewis was telling me this, his shell that he had around him was just that demeanor that he had, you could just feel it. It was like talking to a grown man that had had a chest that was so big that if you if you looked at it or if you even touched it, it would it felt like it would bruise you. 
This is a little 14-year-old kid. By the time he left, I could see him. I could see his worry came back. By the time he was there, little by little, that shell started to break off. But he started being a kid again. You could see him smile. You could see the the joy in his in his face. The the way he looked at you, the way he interacted with you, wasn't as if he had to be this tough macho man. Because at the time that I was talking to him. He, would, he already had been there for two months, and I had been talking to him little by little, trying to gain his confidence to see where his head was actually at. And he would just tell me, thank you, Mark, for talking with me. And with me, it was just three, three to five minutes a day while I'm here at work, only for five days. He's like, just thank you for talking to me. You're taking time to talk to me. It's like that's um, that's what I'm here for, you know. Not only to make sure that you're you're safe, but just to talk with you, just to see, you know. I work in a rehabilitation facility. If there's no rehabilitation, you know, you'll just come back the next time. Which I have seen that as well. There has been kids that have come back second and third time. Wow, that's just heartbreaking. You think of these kids in distress and even just their basic needs not being met of food and shelter and feeling protection. And to think of that mother trying to sell her baby, it just seems like so hard to even fathom. And that they're to have such high expectations put on such a young kid you know, it's no wonder that he did that. And I don't think anyone would blame him for trying to steal food to try to provide for his family. Yes, ma'am. So do you feel like helping these kids, do you feel like it's helped you kind of reflect on some of the hard things that you've been through? Uh, yes, ma'am. It, it's helped me deal with things from my past better as for example as I've had a I've kind of had some of the same upbringings that they've had but in my opinion there's a there's are much worse you know I and I'm, I'm glad I had a mother that did look after me did care for me because I'm pretty sure if I didn't have her I'd be in the same situation that these young men are in it makes me think what role, you know, we have as a society to kind of help these at-risk kids. And even, you know, families that you might not necessarily be in contact with, but how people can reach out. You think of the people who were positive, positive male figure in your life and just how these families that have strong dads and mother people who have like all this love that they can give and how these families that don't have that, how people can kind of step in and, and, and help be an example and help love these kids who need, need help. How do you feel like your influence has helped these kids who haven't had positive male figures in their lives? It other people, and especially my fiance, she tells me I, I sell myself short on, on doing that because there are times where I feel like I'm a hamster on a wheel. It's the same thing over and over and over again. And uh, there's times where I'm just like, I don't want to do this anymore. But when you have that one when you have that one young man that just tells you, thank you. Thank you for just listening to me, for talking with me, for being real with me. You know, because kids know when, especially young men, they know when you're trying to be genuine and when you're just saying things just so they can hear you. And... Uh, that's one thing with me. I'm always going to be real with you. I'm always going to be 
I'm never going to shy away from what you want to hear and what you don't want to hear. But when the young man, when a young man sees you at a restaurant or, you know, anywhere else with your family and they just look at you and they remember you and they're like, hey, I just want you. I just want you to know. Thank you. Thank you for spending that time that I know that you could have done number of different things but you took time out of your day to sit with me and talk to me and that's all I needed when I when I hear that 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 makes my day and that just uplifts me right there just just for them to know that there is a man out there that is willing to take the time to to see them do better for themselves. I like how you were saying how you're not just going to tell them something that they want to hear or that, because I think it would be kind of hard if you are doing the same thing day after day to have like certain words or phrases or things that just kind of like come naturally. But I think they can see through, they can see through that and they've probably had plenty of adults just talk at them instead of, talk with them. And I think you being genuine and real with them and showing love to them really is so impactful. And I think you probably will never know what impact you've had because, you know, you probably have a small percent that come back or say thank you, but there's probably so many more that don't get to say thank you or don't get to that you don't get to see like the end product or what, what will happen in 20 years or how their family will turn out that you might, you might not be able to. I think it's amazing what the impact one person really can have on so many people by showing love and being genuine and being there for them when they need you. Yes, ma'am. And when you say showing love, I have other officers that, that tell the young man, hey, I love you, and I hope you have a good day. And when these young men hear that from another man, it's totally different. When when the juveniles first get there to the facility and they hear that for the first time, some don't know how to react because they've never had a man or let alone a person tell them, they love them. But after that shell is peeled back little by little, they eventually feel that love from a man. And that right there, I never understood because that me being the way I was raised, it was kind of like, hey, you got to be that, that macho Mexican man. You can't show any weakness or anything like that. You got to be strong all the time. So when I saw that for the first time, I was like, whoa, it opened my eyes to something totally different. As, as you can, as they say, you know, putting, putting your feet in someone else's shoes. It was just kind of like, whoa, uh, I was taken back for a moment when I seen that for the first time. That's amazing. You know, how, that really can impact them and how much as humans we need love and connection and how that's like a fundamental thing that we all need and and how much people can change if they know that there's somebody on their side or there to support them and help them. So how do you feel like your job has shaped your perspective? I feel... Uh... My perspective on things are are different from what I first uh, started working with young young men. When I first got to the facility, it was kind of like, oh, we're going to be helping these young men. We're going to help them get on their feet. We're going to help their family. You know, it is a rehabilitation place. We can help them. Now it's just kind of like... I tell the other officers, it's uh, we're expensive babysitters, <laughs> which at times it does feel like that, because 
if society says we're done with you and the only people you kind of have interaction with are the people you see day in and day out you know where you're only there for a period of time like i tell everyone i i go home at the end of the day you got to stay here society may say that yeah you did wrong you got to do this this and that but in my opinion society doesn't doesn't give you that affirmation of hey you've done wrong now you can do right we can build you up that's one thing where i wish we had other other things to implement with these young men whether it's trying to get their family on their feet trying to get them to provide not only for themselves in the right way or just trying to give them an education if you could just make something happen what do you think our society could do to help decrease crime in adolescence what do you think would help solve some of these problems in my opinion give them the tools to be successful to put them to work you know most of these kids are are out here running the streets because they need money to help their family or they need uh some kind of financial income to to help their home because their mom or their dad or their grandma can't can't do it all by themselves so if they can help these young men actually get a job or a career for them to not only help themselves i think i think that's one thing where where we lack as a society for these young men where it's like hey we want you to do good we're telling you to do good but you're not giving me the tools to do anything and i'm too young to go work what else can i do besides pick up cans or pick up sheet metal or go cut grass you know what else can i do can't really do anything else so i'm going to go back to what i know hey i'm going to go rob you or i'm going to go take what i want or take what i need you know you you put them back in the same situation that they were in the first time is there a certain process or certain skills or things that they have to learn before they can leave or is it just like a person by person basis uh no ma'am as a person by person basis so do you think that helping education like so that these schools that these kids are going to if they if the schools had more resources and they were able to have more skills in order to have certain jobs do you think that would help i think it would help uh a bit yes ma'am cuz there are some of these young men that are 17 years old and they've never been to school past the 5th grade and it's like okay if, if you got to start back at 5th grade and you're 17 years old the time that you're here you're never going to catch up but yeah. if you already know yourself hey school isn't for me I, i'm not going to do it nor do i want to do it okay um there's some young man right now that's like I know how to do I know how to do body work on cars. Another young man is like, "Hey, I know how to do roofing. I know how to do electrical because my uncle showed me." Or I I know how to do concrete work. And it's like, "Okay, if you want to do that type of work, you know, I wish we had tools to show you or to give you a certificate or anything so that when when you do get out, it's like you have something lined up." It's it. Now it's up to you to choose what you're going to do but if you have that option i think i think 50% of this man uh, this young man would go ahead and take take that right path so do you think if in the rehabilitation center that they had to learn a certain skill set like welding or auto mechanics or different trade or something that would help them to get a job do you think that would lessen their likelihood of going back. Uh I think I think it would because their time would be consumed with just work and them trying to build something not only for 
their family, but for themselves. Yeah. Which I wonder too, of because they could see that they were capable of more, their self-worth and expectations for themselves are higher. And so then they wouldn't just feel like the only thing I'm good for is selling drugs and robbing or doing other things would help them to know I I can do more. I can do better than this. Yes, ma'am. Are there any other stories that you would be willing to share about some of the young men you've worked with? Uh, One thing that I do want people to realize is that a lot of these young men feel, feel a lot of anger, a lot of hate to some, sometimes it's their own family, but majority of the times it's to the different, different spectrum of families that, that see them as, as criminals or see them as uh, oh, that's just a minority young man that that can't amount to anything. You know, I always tell these young men that, hey, you can't get you can't get in your feelings about someone else taking the responsibility and doing what they needed to do, and one generation, and not them not being able to to realize that. And I mean. I mean that with like uh, my parents never went off to college. They don't have a college degree. They've my mother has always worked her butt off. You know she's she's able to make a good living. You know I myself don't have a college degree. I have college hours. Uh, my fiance has a college degree, but as far as us trying to move forward and better ourselves so that way the next generation and the generation on down have something, you know, that they can look forward to. I always tell these young men, it's not their fault that their parents did what they had to do. It's not their fault their grandparents did what they had to do. You know, you you should feel as a young man that, hey, I got to step up so that way the next generation doesn't doesn't know what poverty is or doesn't know what hunger is. Yeah. And I think it's pretty impressive to be able to try to break that cycle, right? To be able to kind of rise above what you've been given and try to provide a better life for the next generation. Yes. I have this one story about this one young man. He's from Mexico. Uh, This young man spoke broken English so he was always picked on in the facility because he would always get his words mixed up or different vocabulary would come into play when he actually meant to say one thing and a whole different word came out but the one thing about this young man is he was willing to fight anybody and anyone But when it came to that, that's when the other young man decided, you know, we're not going to mess with him because every time we start picking on him, he's ready to fight everybody. So they eventually left him alone. But this young man, while he was incarcerated, he, he found out that he was having a child on the way. But this is, this was his second child on the, on the way. His first child ended up passing away when he got locked up. When he heard that, he he was just broken. But him being that young Mexican man. How old was he? When he was in the facility, he was 16. Now he's going to be 18. He has his own work crew now, and he does remodeling for for homes. It's him, and I believe it's five other people that work with him and his crew. He's able not only to remodel houses and and do flooring, but for for me just to hear that he's doing better, 
is a totally overwhelming thing that I wish that every young man could feel and go through. That's pretty inspiring. I think it kind of shows us too, just because someone has done this doesn't mean that they need to spend their life there. And I feel like there's so many depressing statistics. Someone gets incarcerated that their likelihood of going back is so much more likely to happen again. But I think that it shows that people are capable of rehabilitating. And I think people like you who can give them hope are crucial for, for that to happen. After working with so many kids who have been in the system, who do you feel like are the most susceptible to, to being incarcerated? The ones that have been there for the second and third time. You know, once you, once you see them come back again, it's like, oh, man, you know, I thought you were going to do better. What happened to you wanting to strive to do something with your life instead of doing this for the rest of your life. You know, there, there's some of these young men when they leave our facility within a month, they're in the adult facility. And then sometimes I wish I could just take them under my wing, but you, you can't do that to all of them. You know, there's only so much space that you can have for the ones that actually want to do better and change. Yeah. Um, I wanted to share a quote from one of my favorite books. I think I'd asked you if you'd read Just Mercy. Brian Stevenson, he is a an attorney and he represented inmates on death row. And so, I mean, he's working with a different population than you. I like what he says. He says, the power of Just Mercy is that it belongs to the undeserving. It's when mercy is least expected and it's most potent, strong enough to break the cycle of victimization and victimhood, retribution and suffering. It has power to heal the psychic harm and the injuries that lead to aggression and violence, abuse of power, mass incarceration. And and so I think, you know, as we show these kids mercy and help them we can, our society can help break these cycles of them being victims of their situations and being able to, you know, showing them that there are people on their side that care for them, even if they have made bad choices. What advice do you think you would have for parents who are trying to connect with their team? What do you think parents can do to help their kids and have a strong relationship with them so that they don't end up making these decisions that will be harmful to their lives. The only thing I could say to that is because I don't have kids myself, but I do work with these juveniles. So I would say, you know, for a kid, for a parent to, to listen to their kid and talk with them. You know, most of these most of these young men, when I talk to them and actually listen to them, the, their whole demeanor changes. It's like, oh, you know, someone cares, you know, that, that I need something or that I have something to say. Someone's listening. You know, I'm not, I'm not just talking just to talk and waste my words. Now there's there's meaning behind them. I think when you get that that young teenage woman or man to sit down and talk with their with their parents, I think that that's one thing where you know those words can be moving, especially listening. You know if we. We as adult, we don't like we don't like to listen at times, especially to to teenagers, because you know we've been there. We 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 know how that how that is. But if we can just listen at times, you know, we might we might hear something that will impact our lives as adults as well. 
I like that. And I think, you know, we all love when someone hears us out. And so I think we have to put ourselves in their shoes too. And you would want to be heard as well. Yeah. And sometimes I think it's hard to, to truly listen without cutting in or giving advice or different things like that. And, but I think you're right, just listening and, and having a safe place for them that they can talk and that you'll, you'll listen to them. Well, you're so amazing with kids, whether they're young kids at the gym or these adolescents that are probably a little bit rough around the edges than the kids you work with at the YMCA. But can you tell us what it's like for you? You know, you go the other days of the week, you're working with these adolescents. And then once a week you go to the gym. What's what's that like for you working with the young kids? Uh, to me, it gives me a break. To me, it allows me to to just be a kid again. Like I said, you you know, when we first started talking, my mother would, would tell anybody, you know, I had to make them grow quick. So when I'm around the little ones, I'm, I feel like I'm able to be this big old little kid, you know, whether it's joking around with them, playing with them, or, you know, getting them to to stop crying or calm down, you know, I'm able to relate to them and for them to feel like, oh, okay, you know, he he does care in the sense as, you know, he's not my parent, but he does care. I do feel that. So it, to me, it's kind of like therapy. It's like your detox day from the other days that are maybe a little harder emotionally. Yes, yes, that that's for sure. The other thing too is I can I can let my guard down. You know, at work you always have to have your guard up twenty four seven. The whole time you're there, you have to have your guard up. And as far as working with the little kids, it's kind of like, you know, I can put my guard down, set it to the side, and it's like, okay, let's have fun. You you have such a talent with them, and I think they can tell that you enjoy them. And I think that that's why the kids all love you so much. When you do decide to have a family, what would you like to do differently than how you were raised? I would say being there emotionally, you know, like I said, listening, listening to your kid, you know, being able to, to provide for your kid the way that you're supposed to provide. No, not not just have the bare minimum. No, because at times, especially especially in the the Hispanic culture, you know, most of our most of our parents are first generation, or some of us are first generation, and it's kind of like, uh, well, our parents had it worse, so it's kind of like if we have the bare minimum. Hey, we we've are we're already winning because we have light, we have water, we have shelter, we have clothes on our back. Uh, the main thing that I would I would do with my kids is, you know, make sure that that they they have the things not only not just to survive. You know, that's that's where I think most of most of uh, the minority people go wrong. It's like, hey, I don't have uh, a financial cushion, but I do have things to survive. And it's kind of like, oh, you get acquainted with that. You get okay with that. And it's like, no, I don't, I don't want that. I don't want that for my kids just to be able to survive. I want them to be able to live, live life. Well, I think they'll be super lucky to have you when when the time is right yes, and, but you have a lot of kids that you've impacted that you've been able to love and that you've been able to change their lives and I think that's really powerful and I really admire you for what you do because I'm sure there's a lot of other jobs that would have been a lot easier to do but I think it's amazing that you're doing what you're doing and having such a big impact on these young men and I'm glad that they have someone like you who cares about them.
and who will listen to them and, and be able to help them to, to be better. I have one last question for you. And that's if you could go back in time to any stage of life and give yourself advice, where would you go and what would you say? I would go back to my teenage years, uh, beginning of my teenage years, 13, 14 area. The advice I would give myself is, you know, pain pain is only temporary. Uh, The mistakes that that you make can affect you forever. So it's kind of me telling myself that moment of pain is okay as long as you don't make that, that mistake or as long as you learn from that pain, that mistake is perfectly fine. If the second time that it comes around, you do something totally different. I like that. I think if we could all just not have to keep repeating the same mistakes over and over again, then we'd we'd all be better off, right? Yes, ma'am. Well, thank you so much for doing this. It's been really amazing. And I feel like I've always admired you and thought the world of you. And I didn't know it was possible, but now I just love you all the more. And so I really appreciate you doing this. And I think that the words that you shared and the things that you have to offer will really help others as well. Oh, hopefully. Uh, if, if any of my words are able to impact anybody or just to let them think a totally different way or just to get them to think, then uh, I, that makes me feel a lot better. That, that's the whole point, right? Yes, ma'am. This is Liz Gardner. Thank you for tuning in to Letters to My Younger Self. Thanks for all your support. I really appreciate it.